In this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, Matt Kelly and I take a look at the recent FINRA enforcement actions involving Robinhood, both in terms of their use of bots and business continuity. We also take a look at the proposed IPO and what that might mean for Robinhood going forward. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, recording from an undisclosed location, along with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, who is fortunately back in Cambridge. So, uh, Matt, first of all, welcome back. Hello, Tom. Good to be back. Matt, we recently had a couple of enforcement actions uh, involving one of our favorite companies, Robinhood, and you wrote about them in Radical Compliance. Uh, I wondered if today we might unpack those and see what lessons there are for the compliance professional. Yeah, sure. So Robinhood is certainly an interesting example of regulatory enforcement. Uh, For those who don't know what Robinhood is or what it does, um, it's an app. It allows online trading for free if you are the customer which, of course, means if the product is free, the actual product is you. Uh, Robinhood makes money by offering free stock trading to consumers, and you put money in your Robinhood account. Uh, Robinhood then makes some money off the interest of the cash while it's sitting there before you do your free stock trading. And Robinhood also then makes money by collecting all these trade orders and selling access to broker-dealer firms and security clearing firms to do the actual execution of those trades. It's called payment for order flow, which is a controversial thing. Um, But that is how Robinhood makes a lot of money. And it is this high-flying darling in the fintech world. Uh, It's very cool, very slick app. Isn't it so popular? And Tom, you and I have talked before on this podcast about these meme stocks that suddenly get bought up like they're going out of style, like GameStop like AMC theaters and whatnot, and how has all that happened, and who are these people placing these trades? Robinhood is the thing that's making that happen, and their customers are the ones making the trade. That's what Robinhood is. That's what Robinhood does. Now let's talk about how Robinhood got into trouble. Uh, The big enforcement action that I wanted to talk about, Tom, was its uh, $70 million fine imposed by FINRA, which is the regulatory agency or, or regulatory body Uh, for broker-dealer firms. And at the beginning of July, FINRA slapped Robinhood with a $70 million fine, which is the largest fine in FINRA's history, uh, for a host of business practices that were pretty sloppy that then resulted in either false information being conveyed to customers, like, you know, you think your balances are $13,000, but uh, Robinhood tells you actually it's negative $70,000. Poor information relayed to customers, poor customer due diligence, poor customer risk profiling, poor business continuity um, planning. I could go on for a while. The word poor would figure prominently in what else I would say. But it was a lot of that and a lot of Robinhood growing so rapidly that its compliance capabilities were nowhere near the tasks that were necessary. And that's what we can talk about. But it was a very interesting enforcement action Uh, Robinhood is also in the news because the day after it settled this action, it then filed for an IPO with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Hasn't gone public yet. We don't know when it will. But um, Robinhood clearly is trying to cash out on its popularity and momentum. Compliance problems and failures be damned. They just paid it. They settled that and moving on. But we've got a lot that we could pick over here in the FINRA enforcement action. 
So, man, I guess the uh, the biggest message to me from the uh, FINRA enforcement action, the first one involved really just the absolute need for the human element, that you can have a technological solution with as many bots as you can think of, yet if you don't have that human oversight, uh, it's always subject to uh, going down the wrong path or, or not fulfilling its function. So at its most base level for me, it once again drives home the message that, Whatever your tech solution is, you still have to have that human element. That's very true. And I would say that's the big lesson here for all compliance officers. And I know a lot of people listening might not be in broker-dealer industry, and you're wondering, what does this enforcement action have to tell me? The real issue here that FINRA called out with Robinhood was that Robinhood had written policies and procedures for what it was supposed to do. It did. But... The software bots that it used for various business and even regulatory compliance functions, and I'll talk about that in a minute, the bots that it was using to run the business, what they were doing was actually not in accordance with its written policies and procedures. And that's a big no-no in broker-dealer world with regulators. But really, what we're just saying here is that they had a paper compliance program that didn't match the actual physical compliance activities happening in operations. Uh, everybody listening, that should sound familiar. We've talked about that in retail, in energy. That is what happened with Enron 20 years ago. Um, how can you assure you, the compliance officer, that you are exercising enough oversight over operations so that they happen in accordance with the written policies and procedures? That's the issue. And that is where FINRA came, um, that's where Robinhood came up woefully short. Uh, and Tom, I can give you a couple of examples if you want. I probably could give you more than a few examples, but that's where people looking at Robinhood should be thinking, how can I make sure that my written policies and procedures and actual operations are squared? Uh, so before we get to those examples, Matt, I really wanted to contrast this uh, enforcement action in Robinhood. This is not a kind of Theranos action where the entire product uh, or series of products of the companies was was based upon a fraud, this seems to be really inattention or having a solution and then, uh, as you, or as you just said, a paper program uh, going forward. Do you, would that be a fair assessment? Uh, it would. I mean, if you look at Theranos, clearly there was uh, deliberate fraud happening there, I, I would say, in the minds of the executives and some of the, the people working at Theranos. Over here, a lot of the problems involve no people. They were not human beings actually running a lot of this that caused Robinhood's problems. It was all software bots that were doing what they were programmed to do, but uh, they were doing it in such a slipshod or rapid accelerated way that the compliance oversight you wanted to exercise over all this activity just, just didn't keep pace. Um, and Tom, I'll give you one numbers example that I thought was pretty interesting. Over a period of two and a half years, in the late 2010s, Robinhood racked up 5.5 million new customers, and they had to disclose things like their risk appetite and their experience trading, and did they want to get into options trading, which is highly risky. Um, and you know, then you had to, you Robinhood would have to review those customer applications and make sure that the applications are appropriate, and we're going to give them services in step with their risk appetite. So. 5.5 million customers over 2.5 years, all of whom had to be reviewed. Half of those customers, 2.75 million, they were reviewed by one human being. 
And if you sit down and do the math, which I did because I'm that much of a nerd, that would average out to that one person reviewing 2.1 customer applications every minute of every day, 24 hours a day, every day of the year for two and a half years. And then you've got half of what actually happened went into proper review, assuming that a human actually could do 2.1 records reviewed per minute, every minute, every day, which of course they can't. Um, So right away, we can see that the human oversight, which existed on paper, Robin Hood's policies and procedures said that human principles, they were called options principles, uh, would review all of the customer applications to make sure that they were getting the appropriate services for their risk appetite and experience, which is a big, big deal in broker dealer world. And that is a big regulatory compliance obligation you have. Like, There's just no way that that was going to happen. And so the bots took over and were approving customers, approved almost all customer applications that came in. And you would get to these nonsensical things, like you would have a customer who was under the age of 21 saying that they had three or more years experience in trading. Well, that would mean the person had to be trading when they're under 18, which is illegal in the United States. You can't have that happen. So obviously, if the person gives a correct birth date that says they're 20 and saying that they should get the full options trading permission because they've been doing this for three or more years, that's logically inconsistent. And the software bot should not approve it. And yet we saw scads and scads of instances where such uh, applications were approved. And I can give you some other examples from there. But you see right away that the software bots were acting in a logically inconsistent manner, or let me rephrase it, in a manner inconsistent with regulatory obligations and rules. And yet there was not enough human oversight to step in and say, the bots are going crazy. We have to stop this either curtail what the bots are doing or hire more staff or do a little bit of both or do something. But Robinhood had done nothing for a period of years. And then we wind up with uh, the FINRA action and we are where we are. Matt, I actually found the uh, business continuity issue that you also wrote about equally interesting. Uh, For uh, broker-dealers, this was a compliance violation, uh, and the business continuity was that they, there was no business continuity because of systems outages. But I really liked your sort of ultimate paragraph where you said the the rest uh, for the rest of us the lesson is to view business continuity plans expansively. And I wondered uh, if we might be able to take that as a launching off point with the change that every corporation has experienced over the past year and will continue to do so forward, why you feel business continuity plans are really have become even more critical, uh, even if you don't have a legal requirement like FINRA Rule 4370? Well, yeah, that's true. And so specifically for financial services firms, anybody regulated by FINRA, first off, it's important because FINRA says it's important and there's a rule, but they specifically say that you must provide, have a continuity plan to continue to provide services to your customers in the event of some big disruption. And what fit, what Robinhood had done incorrectly was interpreted business continuity to mean how can we be sure to get employees into the office no matter what. And they had a business continuity plan for that. But then because they are an online trading business, the ability to have technology that actually works all the time is crucial. And that is the substance of meeting FINRA's rule, you know, to continue to provide services to customers means your website has got to work. 
And there were several periods, I believe it was in 2018 or 2019, where uh, Robinhood experienced system outages for hours at a time. And the worst was nearly 24 hours. And if you're an online trading business and your customers are completely off of the website and the trading app for nearly a day, that's a big deal. But the business continuity plan had not reflected that potential. They only saw it as how do we get employees into the office and that's it. Who cares? Frankly, uh, yet again, the most important question in corporate compliance and conduct, who cares? Um, and we can even say that the pandemic has shown who cares that you can get employees into the office. They weren't allowed to go into the office. You had to devise ways to provide for operations, whether you're a broker dealer firm or anybody else. You had to accommodate remote working on the fly, which is exactly what uh, FINRA should have been thinking or what Robinhood should have been thinking about was how do we continue to provide services when employees are wherever? Um, and then it becomes much more a matter of how is the website working? What is the redundant backup for the website? What about our data backups? What about our failovers? So that you know, when site number one and system one crashes, we automatically default to system two. And those are the sort of things you need to think about in business continuity. It is the ability to keep providing services and products to customers. And where employees do that, I think the pandemic has shown, doesn't necessarily matter how exactly they do that. The customer doesn't care. And so long as you are obeying other regulatory rules, say around consumer privacy, I don't think the regulator is going to care either. They just care that you can continue to serve your place in the supply chain of goods and services and the greater economy. Um, and Robinhood came up short on that. And so they got dinged on business continuity along with all of their other human oversight failures around customer due diligence and risk profiling and everything else that we've already been talking about. Matt, I wonder if we might be able to spend a few minutes in that veiled land of the future, which for Robinhood means their potential IPO. Um, first of all, uh, and maybe tie that back into the money they're making on trade orders and payments for overflow, because uh, it's my understanding that um, – uh, both FINRA and the SEC have not opined on whether they're going to allow that to be a part of their uh, income, but also in the IPO, how on earth are they going to demonstrate an adequate compliance program in the face of, of these enforcement actions and potentially whatever else may be out there? It, that's a very good question. And you know, if you are interested in it, listeners, you can read the registration statement for Robinhood, which uh, certainly plums new depths in um, admitting fundamental weaknesses in your operations. Uh, but yes, the IPO document, the registration statement, point blank says a big part of our business model, which is payment for order flow, may or may not be outlawed by Congress or by the SEC or FINRA. Um, it never really had come about before. If Robinhood is a pioneer in free stock trading and payment for order flow, and it's gotten way out of hand. And the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, has already said he's not quite sure what this means for greater risks to uh, stock market volatility, to um, financial fraud, to financial stability generally. So how would Robinhood make money if payment for order flow is banned? Like, I don't know that they know. I don't know how they would do it. Uh, I don't know that that is an issue a compliance program would necessarily need to uh, address. Tom, I will say I got to include this one detail 
in the registration statement is that uh, Robinhood admits that federal agents recently executed a search warrant on the the uh, personal and business cell phones of its CEO. Now, Tom, I've never encountered that in a corporate disclosure before, but there it is. Um, so you have to ask, there's a lot of uncertainty about does management really understand what it's doing? They've created this new way of doing business. Um, there's a lot of consequential risks and forces that Robinhood introduces to other parties in the market because of how it makes money that people aren't quite sure what to do about it. Um, I would say not so much that a compliance function at Robinhood would need to think about that, but the board needs to think about it. The CEO needs to think about it. The chief legal officer, who, by the way, at Robinhood is Dan Gallagher, former commissioner uh, at the SEC during the Trump administration, uh, a Republican, and he is generally a good and thoughtful guy, uh, but he comes from a certain conservative political bent uh, and tends to err on the side of free markets, allowing them to do what they do. Um, so there's a lot of just uncertainty about how are the leaders of Robinhood going to toe that line or even define the line of what is good business conduct if this is your business model? And then how do we actually translate those lofty goals of good business conduct into a real compliance program with policies and procedures and human oversight and you know, living and breathing human beings who oversee the software bots that may or may not be executing transactions according to what we lay out. Um, it's a very interesting thought experiment about laying out business goals and ethics and compliance goals and then trying to reverse engineer what's the actual staff we need? What's the technology we need to achieve all of those objectives, both business and ethics and compliance? And it's not easy. I don't necessarily know what it is, but um, you know, there's, there's a lot of sketchiness about what Robinhood is trying to do. And I, I'm curious to see what happens next with them. Um, well, Matt, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I think my only conclusion will be that we will have the opportunity to revisit Robinhood again. I strongly suspect we will, Tom. Thank you very much. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I'm extraordinarily pleased to introduce the latest podcast addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, the ESG Report. The ESG has become one of the most ubiquitous phrases of 2021. I'm therefore starting a new podcast dedicated to that topic. In my first two episodes, it is a one-part premiere where I visit with Tricia Dascom from Silver, and we talk about the regulatory and investment framework around ESG and what that means for the compliance professional. So check out the ESG report on the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week as we explore another compliance topic literally going into the weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.